Amen. I invite you to be seated. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 today, verses 4 through 10. And uh, so uh, if you didn't get a chance to download the outline, you know, you can find it on, uh, on the U version or else on our website. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to start handing these out again in the next few weeks. But um, this week we're going to be looking at the uh, glory of God, really, and I wonder, you know, sometimes I think we use a lot of Christian words and, and they can be words that are like hard to understand or, or we just, in, we, you know, we feel like we know what it, what it means or, or what, it, what it is when we say it. And, and there's a lot of ways to describe and, and talk about the glory of God. And, and when we think about that, it, it can become abstract unless we, we really look at some examples. And so as we think about the glory of God in Scripture, and as I've kind of been thinking about that this week, um, you know, there's all sorts of ways that God reveals his glory, but one of the earliest ways that we see is when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. And uh, on the Exodus, as they came out, the glory of God went before them in the uh, pillar of cloud or, or pillar of fire. And um, so the, the glory of God went before them. And so we see that in Scripture. And uh, Moses said, don't, go, don't send us if you're not going to go with us. And, and so we see that that, that presence was there. And then Moses sets up the tabernacle, and as he sets up the tabernacle, and the tabernacle, the tent is, is, is dedicated, consecrated, then the glory of the Lord comes and fills the tent, and fills it so, so much so that people can't even be in there. And, uh, and then we get to the point where, where Solomon builds the temple, and Solomon builds the temple, and, and we see in Second um, Chronicles 7 and, and 1 Kings uh, 8, we see that he dedicates the temple, and as he dedicates that temple, a place where the glory of the Lord dwelled, the glory of the Lord filled that temple, and filled that temple in such a way that, um, that, that people couldn't even be in it. And then we see in Ezekiel that because of the sin of the people, that the glory of the Lord left the temple. And so Ezekiel 10 and 11 talk about the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. And so the, the presence of God left. And, and then we see much later that the temple's destroyed, and then the temple's rebuilt by Zerubbabel, and then it's expanded by Herod. And, and in that expanded temple, the glory of the Lord never came into that temple. The glory of the Lord never filled that temple. And then, uh, but Malachi chapter 3 speaks about how suddenly you will see the Lord in his temple, in his holy place. And so um, there was a point in time where you'll remember that Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to be dedicated in the temple, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord was in the temple. And, um, and I know Karen and I went to Israel in 2007, and as we were there, we were up on the Temple Mount, and um, being on the Temple Mount, which is this place where the glory of God had dwelled, and to come to a place where you're there and you realize that, that the glory of God isn't there, it's like you know, in, in the same way that it had been on that Temple Mount for so many years. And, and to be there and to be longing for understanding of where is the glory of the Lord and, and, and realizing that the glory of the Lord is in me. See, the, the glory of the Lord is in me. And, and to be able to look at that and say, what in the world does that all mean? 
And so this glory of the Lord, Ezekiel at the end of his book, 43, chapter 43, says that the glory of the Lord will come into the millennial temple. And so this glory of the Lord, Wayne Grudem defines the glory of the Lord as God's glory is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. God's glory is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. So a place where we get a picture of that in, in, in the Gospels is when Jesus goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and he, he, he reveals himself. There's a, a veil is, is opened and the glory of God is revealed and it's such a blinding light that, that, that you know, Peter and those who are around are like, oh my goodness. And, and we see it too when, when, when Saul is... is, is is, has an encounter with, a, with Jesus and then there's this blinding light and so there's this, this dimension in which the glory of God is this brilliant light. And yet, when Moses says to God, show me your glory, God says, I'll put you in the cleft and you'll see my goodness as I pass by. And so the glory of God is his goodness, his, his loving kindness, his mercy is all involved in that as well. But as we look at our passage today, we're going to be looking at how tasting the goodness of the Lord. And, and last week we looked at, at tasting the goodness of the Lord. We looked at what that means is coming to a place in your life where you realize that you're in need of a Savior and then you, you turn to the Lord. And, and so you taste that the Lord is good. And once you taste that, you want more. I had the chocolate milk out here, if you remember. And, and we looked at that and said, oh, once you taste the chocolate milk, you just never want water again your entire life and things like that. But um, as you look at tasting the goodness of the Lord, and one of the dangers of doing scripture in little segments like we do is that we don't realize that Peter hasn't forgotten about tasting that the Lord is good. This is his next thought, okay? And so, um, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, and then tasting the goodness of the Lord means being called into the marvelous light of Jesus, and that's what we're going to see in this passage. And I brought something to help us see this, okay? And so this is um, a light, right? And so um, I guess it looks really good on the television. My sister said that it shines right in her eyes back there. And other people this morning said, point it up because it's, it's, it's blinding us. I think that's the point of it. You, you get that, right? That's the point of the light of God. The, the light of his glory is a light that should come into our lives in such a way. Listen, we've, we've been called into the marvelous light of Jesus. So let's take a look at what that passage means. And, and I'm going to read the passage to us. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4 and going through verse 10. So put away, uh, I'm sorry, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that had, builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Called into the marvelous light of Jesus. We are being built up into a spiritual house. We're being built up into a spiritual house. It says, as you come to him, Peter says, once you've tasted that the Lord is good, you'll be coming to him. The idea here is a continual coming, all right? It's, it's a continual coming to him. It's the idea of constantly drawing near to him. And it's the, you know, Hebrews, as we looked in that in chapter 4, chapter 7, chapter 10, chapter 11, and talks about drawing near to God, drawing near to him in worship. And so Peter says, once you've tasted the Lord, you're going to naturally, in your new self, be drawn to him and, and continually coming to him uh, as, as a living stone. Uh, Psalm 28.1 says, to you I call, O Lord, my rock. All right, And so there's this idea which God is, is a rock. He's a fortress. He's a refuge. He's a foundation. He's, and this is taught all through the Old Testament that, that God is a rock that can be counted on. And, and so as we come into this passage, Peter says, you're coming to the living stone. And the living stone is Jesus. All right? Who's the living stone? The living stone is Jesus. He is living because he's been raised from the dead. All right, we serve a risen Savior. We serve a living Savior. And so he's this foundation, he's this stone, he's this rock that we can build our lives on, and he's living. He's, he's, he's got life within him. John, John chapter 1 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And so in him is life. So he's the living stone, but he's also the stone that gives life to us who are like living stones. Now it says here that Jesus is the stone, the living stone that is chosen and precious. And we looked at that a little bit last week when we looked at the idea of the fact that, that before the foundation of the world, God determined that Jesus would come in. And so it's not like we were created and we fell and then God's like, what do we do? It was chosen before even one stone was put in the foundation of the world that Jesus would need to come and Jesus would need to, to secure salvation, to pay the ransom, to deliver us from darkness and from ignorance. And so he's chosen and he's precious. Now Peter in these first two verses here, four and five, is giving this information and then he's going to use some verses from, from the Old Testament to help bring clarity to them. Jesus is, is the stone that was rejected by men, but chosen and precious. And he says, you yourselves are like living stones and you're being built up into a spiritual house. So we're like living stones. So what happens is, is he's talking, remember, he's talking to you who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. 
And what that means is he's talking to those who've come to a place in their lives where they realize that their sin has separated them from God and earned them wrath, and they've come to a place where they realize they need the forgiveness of God, and so they've asked God to forgive them through Jesus, and in so doing, they've come from the wrath of God into the grace of God, and so it's this exchange of my life of sin for God's life of righteousness. And, and as I do that, I become a living stone. I become a living stone because God places the life of Christ in me. And I become a living stone, and I'm brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And so this living stone, I become part of the spiritual house. And the spiritual house is made up of every person who has come to a place or they've trusted Jesus in the way that I've just described. And so if you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're part of this spiritual house, right? And, and it's this spiritual house that's being, that's being built up. And so it's this ongoing process. It's an already not yet aspect where, yes, we've, we've got our established faith, but we're constantly being built up. And we're being built up into or to be a holy priesthood, so the spiritual house idea is, is we've actually become the temple because the temple isn't there anymore. And so we've become, in a way, the temple, the place where the glory of God dwells. The, the glory of God has come into our lives in the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we're being built in the spiritual house. And so what's the beauty of that spiritual house? Okay, the beauty of the spiritual house is that it's made up of living stones. Right? Living stones. And living stones actually like do things and you know and and it's like living sacrifices and so it's this this idea that we've been given life in Christ so that stones that were dead are now alive and we're being built into the spiritual house and the beauty of this house is that the glory of God dwells here in Psalm chapter 26 verse 8 it says listen to this I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Now, David there is talking about the temple, clearly. But as I've read that, I've thought, how does that apply today? I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells, a spiritual house. Do, do you love the house, the spiritual house of God? See, that's us. If you're one of those living stones, you're part of the spiritual house of God. And, and one of the things that becomes so amazing, you see, is that we're brought together to be this house where the glory of God dwells. That light shines. And the reason that we become a holy priesthood is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The only reason that sacrifices have to be offered through Jesus Christ is only because of Jesus Christ that we're priests. We, we cannot become priests, this royal priesthood, apart from Jesus. And we cannot offer sacrifices that are pleasing to God apart from Jesus. They need to be offered through Jesus. David talks about this in Psalm 51. 
He says, for you do not delight in sacrifice. I'm in Psalm 51, verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. See, the spiritual sacrifices that I come to God with are the sacrifices of praise, the sacrifices of worship, the sacrifices of my heart, my broken heart, my contrite heart. Contrite means crushed. And, and so it's this idea that as I come to him with a heart that's broken before him, uh, uh, my pride has been broken. As I come to him with that broken heart, I can offer sacrifices through Jesus. Tasting the goodness of the Lord means being called into the marvelous light of Jesus we're being built up into a spiritual house. The next thing we see is we are receiving honor. We're receiving honor. And this is most amazing when you really see it here. He says it stands in Scripture. And, and he's talking about this cornerstone, chosen and precious. So this is where he got this text. It, it comes from Isaiah chapter 28. Then it talks about this cornerstone there. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Um, but in, in that passage, it's talking about, about um, Ephraim being judged for its disobedience and, 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 its, um, and its disbelief. And so it's facing judgment, and that judgment is shame, right? Because shame involves judgment. And, and we think of Adam and Eve in the garden when, they, when, Jesus, or when God talks about them and it says that they were naked and they felt no shame. See, we were created without shame. But then they sinned. They chose the fruit and they hid because they were ashamed. And so shame came into the world. And shame comes in because of the judgment that comes, because of the things that are, that are opposed to God's goodness. And so shame comes in. And, and shame in one way is the shame that we feel from our sin. Right? And, and probably, you know, I don't know if you're like me, you've got one or two things you've done in your life that probably weren't the best choice. Anybody else got one or two things, you know? Yeah, like one or two billion, you know? But, but I've got these things in my life that I've chosen, and they, they weren't good choices. They were sinful. And, and I've come to Jesus, and he's forgiven me. And he's forgiven my sin, and he's forgiven my guilt, and he's forgiven my shame. But you see, there's a voice that continues to talk to me that tells me I need to be ashamed. And there's this voice that tells me that I need to be defined by those things, that somehow I, I can't be moving on from those things. And that voice of shame, you see, is that voice that, that, that is aware that there's a judgment because of those sins. But see, Peter's saying, whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This doesn't give you carte blanche to do whatever you want, not by any means. But what it does tell us is that Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven. And that means that we can put aside the shame that we feel in our lives right now, but it also means that we will not stand before him in shame when we die. All right, we, we will not stand before him in sin when we die. We will stand before him in Christ when we die. 
And that's what it means when it says the honor is for you who to believe. The honor is the honor of Jesus. See, if you come to a place in your life where you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've exchanged the shame of your life for his honor. Your life of sin for his life of righteousness. Your dishonor for his honor. Your inglorious state for his glory. And you've come to this point in this place in your life where you've received the honor that is, that is Jesus' honor. This would be so important for the readers of this letter who received it because they were moving into this time where they were going to begin to experience persecution. Some of them already had, just proclaiming the name of Christ. And so why should I stand for Christ when I'm facing adversity? Why should I be bold for him when all it does is get me, get me you know, discomfort? And, and because of all the things that are true of who you are because of Jesus. And that's what Peter has spent the first two chapters of this letter telling them is, listen, you need to take hold of Jesus. Your faith is so valuable and, and you've, been, you've been tasting who God is and it's an amazing thing and so you can stand in the midst of whatever you're going through because of all that you are in Christ and all that Christ has for you as you give your life to him. It goes on to say, but for those who do not believe... See, there's this contrast. The honor is for you who believe. What do we do? But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. See, the cross of Christ is the great divide. Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And so the cross, Paul tells us, is, a, is, is the, the dividing point. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are, who are being saved, it's the power of God. And so Jesus, as the cornerstone, the one that the builders rejected, is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what we see here is that the cross divides. Jesus is the division. Do you trust him or do you not? And if you do, you're going to find that he, his honor is yours. If you don't, you will find yourself stumbling over him. And as a matter of fact, you'll find yourself crushed by him. That's what the rock of offense means. All right? And so I don't know where you are, whether you're in the room or whether you're listening online. Where are you with Jesus? Do you disbelieve and do you disobey? And if you disbelieve and disobey, if you think, oh, I, I just don't believe what that book says. I just don't believe what the Bible says. I don't believe what God says. If you choose not to believe that, Jesus is going to become a stumbling stone to you. And eventually, he will be the rock that crushes you. And it's interesting because it says people were destined for this. People were destined for this. You realize this is talking about each one of us. There was a point in time in your life when you didn't believe that Jesus was who he says he is. There was a point in your life where you lived in willful disobedience to the word. Each one of us have. 
See, we, we like to believe that people are basically good and we need a little bit of help, so God sent Jesus to be a little bit of help, but that's not it. See, we're, we're bad. We're, we're depraved. We're defiled. Remember that from a couple of weeks ago. We are defiled. We come out of the womb sinners, right? And, and we come out of the womb in a desperate need for a Savior. We, we, come, in a, in, we come into the world with a, with a deep need for, for restoration, reconciliation. And if we continue in our lives in this way, it will ultimately lead to a separation from God forever. But we're looking at the idea that tasting the goodness of the Lord means being called into the marvelous light of Jesus. So we're being built up into the spiritual house. We're receiving honor. The final thing is we are proclaiming the amazing excellencies of God. We are proclaiming the amazing excellencies of God. Now, how do you do that? How, how, how do you, in your day-to-day life, go about proclaiming the amazing excellencies of God? Because Peter says, listen, the, you taste the Lord is good, you're brought out of darkness into light, and the reason is so that you can proclaim his excellencies. So this verse, it says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, Peter's talking to a mixed group of people. He's talking to Jew and Gentile here, and he's, he's letting them know, listen, in, in many ways, he's using some of the names that, that were used of Israel in the Old Testament. This doesn't mean that the church has taken the place of Israel. It just means that we've been grafted into these things. And we've been grafted into this place where we are a people for his own possession. That's really amazing. When you think about it, God owns everything. Did you know that? Do you have a car? No, God's letting you use his car. Okay, you know, he owns everything, right? And, and so when you think about that, yeah, but what's being talked about here is you are a people for his own possession. He's ransomed you. Through Jesus, you've been ransomed, and so you've been delivered, but you've also been purchased. And so this idea about being a possession of God, this is a special possession, and what it's talking about is care. Okay, he, he owns you. But who else would you want owning you? Who else would you want treating you as if you were a special possession than God? God treats you as if you are a special possession of his so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, out of darkness. This is talking about out of ignorance, the ignorance we looked at last week, the lack of knowledge of who God is, and, and this idea of being born into this place of rebellion. You've been called out of that ignorance into his marvelous light. Think about the glory of God. Think about the glory of God. Imagine that you're on the Mount of Transfiguration. You're there with Peter, James, and John. And all of a sudden, the veil of heaven is torn back just a little bit. And you see Jesus. And Jesus is glowing. 
and you begin to get just a taste of what the glory of God is. Do you know that there's no moon or sun or anything in heaven because just the glory of God lights it all? And that's the glory, you see. That's the marvelous light that you've been called into. You've been called out of darkness into that marvelous light. And Jesus says, because of that, you are the light of the world. You you are the light of the world. The marvelous light of Christ, not only has it come into your life, but it radiates from your life. John chapter 17, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as he prayed, in John chapter 17, verse 20, he begins to pray for us. On the night he was betrayed, he was praying for you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. Think about this. Catch it. I want you to hear what Jesus just prayed. God the Father, the glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. Have you come to a place where you've exchanged your life of sin for God's life of righteousness? If so, the glory that God gave to Jesus, Jesus has given to you. That glory, that light, that brilliance, that freedom, that, that presence has been given to you so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I and them, you and me, that may become perfectly one. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets pretty exciting. To think that I've been called out of darkness into that marvelous light and, and to, to consider what that glory looks like in our lives. And I know this is bright. I wish it was a gazillion times brighter than this. See, for me, I, when I look up, okay, I look into one that's like, Ugh, okay, and then you guys all disappear for a few seconds. And isn't that the point of the glory of God? See, I want to look into the glory of God so that the stuff that draws me away from him, I can't see. I want to be focused on his glory. I want to be focused on who he is. I want his glory to fill my life. I want it to come to a place where, where I realize that I'm one of God's people. I had not received mercy, but now I've received mercy. I've received this light in my life. I've been called out of darkness, and I've been called so that I could proclaim his excellencies. And so what does that mean for us? If someone watched you live your life this coming week, would it be obvious that you've been brought into the marvelous light of Jesus? 
See, is, is the glory of God revealed in you? Is it, is it like when the stuff hits you that just would undo you? Is it like, I've got the light of Christ. Hey, does it impact how you live? And is that how you proclaim the excellencies of Jesus? And how can you do that this week? And who is one person that you can impact this week? I left a line there for you in your outline so you could write down the name of who is one person that you could proclaim the excellencies of the Lord to? How could you let the light of Christ shine in who you are? There's a song that I learned as a kid. It went like this. This little light of mine. Do you know that song? Okay. This little light of mine is the light of Christ in me. It is the marvelous light of God. It is the light that illuminates heaven in me. A little light of mine is like, it's like calling... I can't even think of an analogy. I got so wrapped up in what I was doing. But it's like thinking of, a, of an atomic bomb as a firecracker. You know, I mean, it's like, no, no, no. We're talking about the marvelous light of Christ. If you take nothing else away today, take away the fact that this light is in you and you have been brought out of darkness into light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Get it up there. This little light of mine, don't be shy. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hiding under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hiding under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. How long? Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen. God, could that be the prayer of our hearts? That this marvelous light, this little light, this spectacular light would radiate from us and that we'd live in the very core of your glory. In your name we pray, amen.